The reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. And if you're following with um, one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1045. 1045, verse 35, watchfulness. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the word of the Lord. Jess, come and join me. Now, our preacher this morning is Jess Ross. Um, she, you need to tell us a little bit about yourself personally first. Okay. Um, oh, that's a big question. Well, just husband and things like that. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm married to Jake. He's hiding over there. Um, yeah, and I work here at Christchurch. And what do you do in your work here? So my title is a ministry assistant, which basically means I do lots of different things. Um, but largely, I work with the students. So um, kind of, yeah, anyone who's a student at the university or student age, I get to look after those guys. And it's lots of fun. And when do they meet? They meet on a Tuesday evening um, to look at the Bible, um, but they also gather with all their friends who don't come to church on a Wednesday lunchtime and have free lunch here with us. So that's your main role, but that won't be forever, will it? You, the no. future holds what for you? Well, the future holds, um, well, I, in December I got through my BAP, which means I've been recommended by the diocese to be uh, to train for ordination. So yeah, hoping to be ordained. And you got through a tough interview with that, didn't you? Yeah, very, I was interviewed by Dave and it was very, very difficult. Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks for that. That's great. Let me pray for you and then thanks. pass on the word to us. Father, thank you for Jess. Thank you for what you're doing in her life. Thank you for what uh, she does here, for all the work she puts in with students. Bless that, we pray. And bless her now as she brings God's word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you. Uh, so, good morning. I'm really excited to be here. I usually worship at the six o'clock service, where lots of our students go, um, so I don't get to be here very often. Um, and as I was just stood here singing with you this morning, I felt so uh, privileged, actually, to be surrounded by lots of you who are real giants of the faith. I was stood next to Dave thinking, gosh, he's such a giant of the faith, you know. He's been on this journey for so much longer than I have. And I think often when I get up to speak, people first reaction is, goodness, she's a bit young. Um, You might have had that thought already today. Um, But what I love about scripture is the way that it can unite us and the way that it can connect us. And so it's been my prayer this week as I've been preparing that even though we come from maybe slightly different worlds, even though we're maybe from slightly different walks of life, it's been my prayer that um, you guys and I would be able to connect over this scripture, that we'd be able to be united this morning. Um, So here we are in Luke 12, and this is a passage that when I first read it, I was actually quite daunted by it, I think. Um, I don't know if you felt that as we read it this morning. It's almost a bit daunting. It feels kind of threatening and scary in some ways. But as I've been grappling with it over the week, I've felt God showing me that this is a passage that is not scary at all. Rather, for those of us who are Christians, this passage is comforting and exciting and should be enthusing. It's actually a passage of wonderful news. And I believe it's exciting because it reveals to us three hugely key things that Jesus wanted his church to know about the kind of people that they were called to be. But I think maybe Jesus' audience at the time, the people listening to him as he spoke this, would have struggled to understand what he was talking about. Jesus was there with them, and he was, and yet it was he was talking about his second coming, his triumphant return. And we know from some of the possibly seemingly ridiculous comments that some of the disciples make in the Gospels um, that actually they found it really hard to understand the things Jesus was talking about when he talked about the future. They found it hard to understand that he would die and rise again. They found it hard to picture that and then let alone imagine that he would one day ascend and then one day return So Jesus is trying to teach them, but there's clearly some disconnect. And we see that, don't we? Like midway through the passage where Peter asks, are you saying this to us or is this to everyone? And Jesus doesn't answer directly because he knows Peter needs to think about this further. And I think we know now that this teaching is for all people, don't we? It's possibly much easier for us to get our heads around. But I wonder if still, like Peter... We need to think about this a bit further. So trust me when I say it's exciting. And um, I said there are three key things that I think it's telling us about the kind of disciples we should be, the kind of church that we should be. I think it's teaching us that we should be a patient people, that we should be a valiant people, and a hopeful people. And I'm going to unpack each of those things a little bit further this morning. So first of all, the call to be a people of patience. Jesus begins by describing a faithful servant who's waiter, waiting for his master. And the, the faithful servant is dressed ready. He's got his lamp burning. And I really like the bit about the lamp burning because it kind of reminds me of like when I was younger and I'd go out with my friends and it'd be late at night and my mum would have left the whole light on for me. Did, did any of you have that or did you do that? You know, you leave the whole lamp on, don't you? Um, and that, I remember whenever I'd see that whole lamp on, it would be like as if my mum was, she was ready 
She knew that I was coming back. She was expecting that I was coming back. She'd left it waiting. And I think when Jesus is talking about the servant with his lamplet, he's suggesting that as we do life on this earth, we should be ready. Like, like leaving a whole light on, we should be on the lookout. We should be seeking Jesus' return, showing signs that we're seeking his return. I don't know about you, but this makes me feel like, oh, so often I forget that Jesus will come back, actually. I'm so busy getting on with my life that I'm not sure I'm making, ready, making sure I'm ready for him at all times. I've so often forgotten to leave my lamp burning, so to speak, because I've simply forgotten that he's coming. I've become impatient with the wait. And I've fixed my eyes on things on earth rather than on Jesus and his coming back. And I wonder if maybe you have too. But Jesus says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. He's commending patience to us. In fact, he promises that the master himself will make them recline at the table and he will serve them himself. He's saying, there is so much goodness in store for you, but you must be watching, you must be waiting, you must be patient. And this isn't easy. That's exactly why Jesus is teaching on it, because he knows that it's going to be a huge challenge for his people. He's aware of the hurry and the busyness that's going to crowd in around them, just as we see it do for us now. And so he's saying, I know this will be hard for you, so let me warn you. Let me tell you. We live in a world, don't we, that is just in a great big hurry. I went to London yesterday, um, and it was so busy. London is always busy, but it felt like everyone was in a huge hurry. Like everyone was running extremely late for everything because people were just walking so quickly. Everything needed to be done quickly. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And I'm not, and I think we're seeing this everywhere, that everything's so quick and sped up. I'm not just talking about technology, which of course has made everything more instant than ever before, but we're even keen to get to the shortest checkout queue at the supermarket, aren't we? Because we just want to save those like two minutes that we might have spent queuing. Or we get so frustrated by anything that slows us down, like a traffic jam. We want to get somewhere the quickest way we can. What's the quickest route? How can I make sure I'm there without wasting any minutes? We're always, always in a hurry. And yet Jesus, I think in a way, is saying, slow down. You need to be on the lookout. And actually, you can be a countercultural people by being a people of patience. And it's interesting to me, that this passage comes right after the beautiful section just beforehand. Have a look on your page. The second, the, the passage just beforehand is that beautiful passage where he says, do not worry. These comforting words where Jesus says, I will give you all that you need. In that passage, Jesus gave his listeners and us permission to stop hurrying. He said, you don't need to be in a fluster you don't need to be hurrying to try and feed yourselves and clothe yourselves just to get the things you want and need. He says, doesn't he? He says, I've got that covered. And in doing so, he frees us up. He actually gives us permission to go slower. And I think that's confusing because we always think we need to be doing more. We always think we need to be going quicker. We always think we're not fitting in enough things. But he, gives, he frees us up to go slower. And in doing so, I think we can better make ourselves ready for his return. 
We can be on a watch. We can have our lamps burning. We can be free from distractions. He frees us up to be ready for him. And what does that mean practically for us? Well, I think it means slowing down enough to make sure that we're right with God when he comes, to make sure that we've had time in each and every day where we've met with him, where we've encountered his presence. It's about patiently practicing the presence of God so that when he comes, we'll be ready and we'll be waiting with our hallway lights left on, so to speak. This slowing down enough to notice and encounter God in our daily lives is what will make us ready. Because although we might have written off the idea of Jesus coming back in our lifetimes, the Bible says very clearly that the day and the hour are unknown, that he'll come when we don't expect him. It could be right now. It could be right now. It could be this week. It could be this evening. And I think that means we need to learn to be a patient people who've eliminated hurry and made enough room to encounter Jesus in our day-to-day lives. So that's being a patient people. But what about being a valiant people? That feels quite different. Um, But let's look at where that comes in. So the passage takes a bit of a different turn after Peter asks who the teaching's for. And Jesus begins to talk about another person, a manager, who's been left in charge of the servants whilst the master is away. And he describes one scenario where the manager is obedient to his master versus a second scenario where the manager is disobedient. This manager chooses to go behind his master's back and live a life that's not honorable, live a life that's not honoring all that his master has left to him. And Jesus is giving a warning He doesn't hold back in saying there's going to be trouble and anguish for a person like that. There's going to be difficulty for a person like that. And ultimately, I think Jesus is asking, are we living our lives like we actually believe that he could come back at any hour or at any time? Because surely if we believe that, then the things, actually the sinful things that we do in secret, that we try to hide away from our fellow churchgoers or our friends, surely then we would no longer do them. On that day when Jesus comes, he's cleared, there will be no hiding. All will be revealed to him and by him. But are we living as if that's true? I know that often for me, like I said earlier, I forget. And that feels crazy when I read this, but I forget. And old habits creep in. And I think we find ourselves doing things that we know are not honoring to God. And Jesus is warning against this. And yet, thank goodness, there is comfort to be found despite our shortcomings. Because we know that God looks at our hearts, doesn't he? He looks at our hearts. And every single one of us will struggle with sin along this road towards Jesus' return. The Bible is very clear that that's going to be part of the journey. All of us do things that we aren't proud of. But for those of us who've met Jesus and been changed by him, we've been given a heart change where our hearts have chosen to turn 180 degrees and face the other direction. You might remember remember the exact moment where that happened for you. You might be able to recall that exact moment. And if you've never had that moment, maybe that's a decision you want to make today. Perhaps you're ready to have that heart change, that turn completely in the opposite direction to your sin and say, no, I will choose a better way. But for those of us who've had our hearts changed by Christ, 
we have the comfort of knowing that despite all of our shortcomings and our urges and our sinfulness, he will look on our hearts and know that they're turned ultimately towards him. But this is where the valiance comes in because we're in a battle every single day where we, every single day we have to turn our hearts towards Christ and keep choosing him over all else. And that's really hard. That is not easy. Paul puts it like this in Romans 7. He says, But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's in anguish about the fight against sin that he's in. And yet he knows he can continue to valiantly fight the desires within him because he knows that Jesus Christ frees him. So we too must fight valiantly, not with a great struggle, but with the knowledge that Jesus is on our side cheering us on. And for those of us who've had our hearts turned around by God, this fight against sin, this fight to be ready, will feel actually like part of who we were made to be. I know that's been my experience of being a follower of Jesus, that the fight against sin feels like part of who I'm made to be. It will feel like daily taking steps towards becoming more like the people that he created us to be. Later, Paul writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul is able to end his life knowing that he fought the good fight. And throughout the New Testament, we are called to do the same. This journey is constantly referred to as a fight where we must not lose sight of what we're aiming for. We can't afford to lose our focus. We must fix our eyes ahead. Recently, I watched the film Saving, Saving Private Ryan. Anyone seen that film? You might have seen it. Yeah, it's a classic, but I saw it for the first time ever recently. Um, and I was amazed because these guys fighting this war, they can't for a moment take their eyes off their targets. They can't for a moment take their eyes off their enemies who they're fighting. They can't look back at their friend who's fallen. They can't take a breather for a moment. They are valiant. They are a picture of valiance. And Paul refers to this fight because that's exactly what it, he refers to this, what we're going through as a fight, because that's exactly what it is, a spiritual battle where we must fight with all that we have every day to keep our hearts turned towards Jesus. So your attitude towards Jesus' second coming is directly linked to how you've responded to his first coming. If you have been changed and transformed by his first coming, your attitude towards his second coming will be to fight valiantly or should be to fight valiantly in order to be ready and watching and waiting. If your heart has been turned around by him, the fight becomes part of who you are. You'll become over time naturally inclined to be fighting to keep your heart turned towards Jesus and looking after the things he's given you to look after, just like the first, more faithful manager. This is a call to be a people who are valiant. But as I said earlier, this passage can in some ways feel daunting and challenging. But the third thing I think the passage is telling us to be is hopeful rather than fearful. 
I think it's not, it's not trying to make us afraid because there is so much hope to be found in knowing that this very same Jesus that we read of in the scriptures, that we know in our hearts, is coming back. I don't think we can talk about all of this without thinking about one of the most beautiful passages in the whole of scripture, Revelation 21. Oh, it's just one of my favorite things in the Bible. Right at the end of the Bible, it speaks of the hope that we now have in Jesus Christ, of what kind of world we'll live in one day when he returns. In verse 3, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then in verse six, he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be my God. Uh, I will be their God, and they will be my children. For those who have believed in Jesus, this will be true. And I don't think there are any words more comforting. There is nothing that could make us a more hopeful people than this knowledge that the sufferings and the tears and the trials and the difficulties of this life will be gone. And he says, forever. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, that when the wind and the waves wage war around us, when we feel impatient, when the fight feels too tough, and we're not feeling valiant, this is all still true. Jesus is the hope and the anchor in all of those things. And he says, I do not leave you alone. I am with you until the very end of the age. This is the kind of hope and future that our God is interested in. One where there is complete newness, complete comfort, complete wholeness, complete security. The Luke 12 passage, it calls us out. It challenges us. But it's also a reminder that Jesus is on his way, that he is coming back. And whether we think about that daily or whether we forget daily, it's still happening. And that knowledge should bring hope to our hearts in every moment of every day. In every moment of uncertainty and despair, Jesus' teaching in today's passage should bring us great comfort and great hope. He's coming He's coming. And the way that the world looks now is not the end. It's not the finished product. Isn't that a huge relief? In the face of our country's political situation, in the face of war and poverty and homelessness and slavery and displacement and all of the other horrendous things that go on around our world every day. Isn't that a huge relief that Jesus looks at all of that and he says that is not the end of the story. And he looks at your life and he looks at my life and he says, that is not the end of the story. Put your hope in me. And so in the light of that, let us be a hopeful people. Let us be a church who is patiently waiting for the return of our king. Let us be a church who are 
fighting valiantly to always have our hearts turned towards Christ and away from sin. And let us be a church who is hopeful in all things. I'm going to invite um, the band to come back up. I think, do we have a a response song? Um, And I I don't know um, how you guys normally respond at this service. I'm hoping that there's some of you who like to pray for other people. Um, And and if that's true, if you're somebody who's happy to pray for people, would you just come and stand over this side? Um, And if you would like to receive prayer about any of those things that I've talked about this morning, then I would love to invite you to do so. Perhaps... um, Perhaps you feel like you just need to be refreshed in your patience, that you're, you're, you're feeling hurried, you're feeling distracted, and you need a reminder that we're called to be patient and that we are, we're actually freed up by Jesus to be patient. Or perhaps you're not feeling very valiant. I know that most days I don't feel very valiant. And perhaps you'd like to be refreshed in that, that you would like someone to pray for you, that you might feel like you want to fight, actually, like you want to fight against the struggles of each day, the struggles against sin, the struggles to to be impatient, maybe. Or perhaps you've just lost your sense of hopefulness. Perhaps you need to be renewed in in your hope, actually, for the future, in your hope for our world, in your hope that Jesus is coming back. Um, So if that's you, do come and receive prayer. Or if it's easier, just ask the person next to you to pray for you. There's no rules about who can pray for who. Um, But yeah, I'd love love for you to receive prayer if that's what you want to do. But um, hopefully we can respond in this song as well. But I'm just going to pray for us before we sing, if that's okay. Father God, we thank you so much that you are coming back. That this is not the end of the story that we can be enthused by this teaching, this passage, because we know that you are coming back. God, would you make us a patient people? God, would you make us a valiant people? And above all, would you make us a hopeful people? Would these things mark us? Would we be countercultural because we know these things? And in the face of a world that looks like it's in despair, would you remind us of the hope that you bring? Would you help us to know in our hearts right now, this morning, that you're not despairing because you know this isn't the end of the story? God, would you come now by your spirit? Would we meet with you here? Amen.